Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is week four of our false sermon series. We have titled Warning Signs, and every week I think we gain more warning signs up here on the stage. That is done uh, by intention and design to make you realize how important this is. Uh, I, I, I did not intend, so, so sometimes I try to tell God how to do his business. And then I find out he don't mind me. That's the only problem I've ever had with God. I love his benefits. I love the fact that I get to go to heaven when I pass from this life to the next. I love everything about God except he don't mind me. I tell him how I want to do things and how things should be done and when it needs to be finished, and then he just does whatever he wants to do, and, and I have to like it or lump it. So uh, that, that, that's, the only, that's the only argument I ever have uh, with God. And sometimes I plan how I'm going to preach, and then God says, no, you're going to do it like this. So I did not intend for this series. I thought I had everything planned out. I thought I, I knew exactly what topics I was going to touch on, exactly what it was that warning signs was going to be warning you about, because I thought I was so smart. And then as I began to break down the last three weeks of sermons and I was working through them, I realized that something was happening that I didn't intend to happen. And one of those things is the sermons are already written for me in the book of 1 Samuel, and I didn't know it. I didn't intend to use David as the backdrop of this sermon series. I didn't intend for, uh, for us to go as, as often as we're about to and talk about David's story. Two weeks ago, we left David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. This week, we're going to be over in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And when we last saw David, he was working for Saul. If you were here and you recall, he was working for Saul in the palace, and Saul would get an evil spirit on him. And then David would play the harp, and that evil spirit would lay down, or, or it, would, it would leave Saul, right? So that was David's quest. And I did not know at the time that I was going to use warning signs as a theme, but we were going to preach it through the life of David. I, that wasn't my intention. I had other things that I had in mind. But as I began to build this, I, the Holy Spirit took me in this direction, and we're just going to talk a lot about David. And we're going to talk a lot about David's life, and here's why. Between David and the folks that David was surrounded by, there's a lot of warning signs that you and I get to take advantage of because we get to read the story, and we're not in the story. And so we can see that there was a lot of warning signs in David's life and the life of those that was around him that they didn't see, they didn't take advantage of, they did not read, they did not adhere to. But you and I have the opportunity to look back and see what they should have saw, and take advantage of that, okay? So, I said two weeks ago, when I was a little boy, I remember being in the buggy, I don't know what y'all call them up here, shopping carts, you're, you're professional people up here, but where I'm from, there's buggies, and my mom would push me around the grocery store in the buggy, and we'd be in the checkout line, and I remember looking over and reading, because I, I, I cried when I couldn't read, just a little bit about me, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit much. When I couldn't read, I would cry that my mother had to read to me. So I, I learned to read as, as early as humanly possible because I wanted to do it myself. I didn't want her to read to me. And so then I, would, I read everything. And I still to this day, I, I didn't know it at the time, but God was in, in, imputing something to me in my early childhood that I was going to be using uh, even into my 50s, I guess, because uh, I still read everything I get my hands on, but, and, and good thing I do, because I do this for a living. So um, I, I, w I read everything, and I remember being in the checkout line, and I would see the National Enquirer. You remember that? And the National, that thing was wild, wasn't it? Because they was always finding UFOs out in the desert somewhere, or Elvis was running the checkout counter at 7-Eleven down in Arkansas somewhere. He was alive. It would say Elvis is alive, and he was working the counter at 7-Eleven. And reading David's life is a lot like reading that thing. Like, I mean, there's stuff that is just scandalous that if I got up here and just made up a story, you'd say that's too much. But because we're going to read it, and David actually lived through it, you're going to understand how life can be when we don't take heed to the warning signs. So this morning... We're going to talk about David in chapter 
17 of 1 Samuel. I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me and we're going to read the Word of God. Chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. I did not know, of course I've had this sermon written for a few weeks now, but my wife did not know what I was preaching on this morning. And then they got up here and sang not one, but two songs. About One was about Goliath, and the other one was about, Old giant, you're under my feet. Old giant. Uh-huh. And the other one was about David and his sling and taking down, and they called Goliath by name. So verse 41 calls him by name too. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to that, because that already got him in trouble. He cursed David by the name of his gods. Notice it's little g. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come at you in the name of capital L, Lord of heaven's armies. The capital G, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Yeah, David did not come because he talked trash to David. David came because he talked trash to God. Somebody say amen. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Notice that David has no confidence in his own ability. David said, the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give your dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a capital G God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Goliath didn't believe him, apparently, because verse 48 says, Goliath moved closer to attack. David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching in his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. Where did he hit him? Where'd he hit him? In the forehead. Hold on to that for the remainder of this sermon. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. He had no sword. Say it with me. He had no sword. David had no sword. David had no sword. Join me as I pray. God, in the name of your Holy Spirit and of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we trust, we pray today, God, that every heart and every mind would be open to receive this word of yours today. That the importance of this moment will not be missed. That there's not an enemy that will be able to distract us from hearing and receiving what it is that you want us to hear and to take with us today, God. Not just for the moment, but for all of eternity. Hide this word in our hearts that we may be victorious, that we may walk in the presence of giants but not be afraid, that we may face down the, the giants in our life and know that you are with us, that we may be able to stand in the presence of enemies and understand that as long as we have you with us, there's nothing for us to fear. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray this today. And all the church said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. This very well might be the most popular story in the whole Bible. I don't know that to be true, but I'm just taking a guess. Uh, there may have been more sermons preached from this story than any other passage of the Bible. It has to be up there, right? Like it has to be up there with, with creation and the Red Sea crossing, maybe the Ten Commandments and even Jesus at Calvary on the cross. Those are all very popular things places for preachers and teachers to take a text from, but this one's got to be up there, right? I mean, if you've been in church since you was a little kid, you've heard this story over and over. I myself have preached this countless times in my 25 years of ministry, but most of the sermons that I have preached myself, as a matter of fact, almost all of them, and every sermon I've ever heard has always come from the viewpoint, the aspect, the life of David. It's always talked about David. And his courage, it's always talked about David uh, being willing to do what others wouldn't do. 
It's always been from David's vantage point. Maybe his sling, maybe the stones, maybe his... I've even preached on David's shepherd's bag before. And, and most of the sermons that I've ever heard preached come from this vantage point. But this morning, I want to talk about Goliath. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about this warrior who had trained his entire life for a fight like this. I want to talk about somebody who was prepared for battle and was easily defeated. I I want to talk this morning specifically, because none of you feel like Goliath, you all feel like little David. I want to talk this morning to every person in this room who feels like you have spent your Christian walk preparing for battle. But if you don't pay attention to the warning signs, you can become easily defeated whether you want to admit it or not. This is what I want to speak to this morning. Look look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, pay attention. Uh Uh-huh, pay attention. Now look at your other neighbor and say, that means you too. (laughs) Uh, uh, and, and the name of my sermon this morning is Warning Signs, You Stopped Paying Attention. Mm. Now, now, here's the thing. I, I'm going to be dealing with a lot of things in this passage, in, in this uh, sermon series I did not plan on diving into. We're going to dive into what's wrong with the world today and the spirits that are coming against you as believers. We're gonna, I didn't plan to, get, to do that, but one of the things that we're going to talk about is when you get married to the government. and uh, I, it's, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about those things. I, David has taken me on a path I did not intend to go on. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, beginning this morning and moving on through the end of this sermon series, it's going to be a little tough on you. It's, this is not going to be one of those sermon series where uh, everybody leaves feeling real good. I, I hope you leave feeling clean. I hope you leave feeling uh, uplifted, but only because it made you evaluate yourself and maybe come to some repentance and get some stuff right that's been wrong in your life for maybe a long time. Because uh, what I'm finding in this sermon series is that some of these warning signs are so obvious, but we are blind when we want to be. I'm, I'm talking to people in this room that, like Goliath, you have been prepared for battle. You come to Sunday morning service, you lift your hands, you, you, you scream at the top of your lungs, He's under my feet, oh giant! And you cry, and you fill up tissues, and you, you hide the word in your heart, and you have this song, and you've got all of Elevation songs on your playlist, and, and you've got the best intentions, and you've been preparing for war. Warning, if you stop paying attention to stuff that's in front of you, no matter how prepared you are, you can lose the battle. Because it's my job on Sundays to prepare you. But I will not be on the battlefield with you. Your neighbor won't be on the battlefield with you. When it comes time for you to stare down your giant... When it comes time to stare down your opponent, you're going to have to stand there and use what you prepared for. And so I'm going to talk to you this morning about things that you should pay attention to. Coming to church is important. Say yes. Yeah, I don't even have to break that down. I can show you scripture, but you need to be in church. Spending time in prayer is essential to you becoming spiritually mature. Say yes. And reading your Bible is one of the greatest ways to prepare yourself for the attacks of the enemy. Say yes. However, all of the preparation in the world will not help you if you stop paying attention to what's important. Not one amen in this whole place. So I want you to look at Goliath with me. And I want you to pay attention because this fight should have been easy for Goliath. I know, see, see, I, I've twisted it on you. You don't know how to respond to this sermon because you want to be David all the time. You, you don't know how it is to, to, to stand in the shoes of Goliath because nobody ever preached to you like this. I, I want you to intentionally think how cocky Goliath was, how arrogant his words were because of the confidence he felt. But there were some things that he did not pay attention to that are the same things you and I need to pay attention to. 
Because this fight should have been easy for him. There are some things that he says in this passage I just read to you that makes me want to stop and point it out to you so you don't make the same mistakes Goliath did. Because let's, let's be very honest. Some of your problems that are plaguing you right now should have been easy. You all already mad at me? Like that addiction should have been easy for you to overcome. That relationship should have been easy for you to break ties with. That, uh, that habit should have been easy for you to get over. But, but you got yourself so involved with the blindness of ignoring the warning signs that you got yourself on the battlefield and lost the battle because you did not pay attention to what was right in front of you. So, so I'm going to give you at least four things. How to lose a fight, you should win. How to lose a fight, you should win. Listen to what he says in verse 42. In verse 42 he says, He sneered at contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Goliath looked at little David. Some people think David could have been, I've always heard 16, 17. I've, I've read some commentators believe he could have been as young as 14 years old. And he was the only one. Mind you now, for 40 days, Goliath has come out on the battlefield and begged anybody to come out and fight him. I mean, he's got to be smelling himself right now. I mean, he has been the cock of the walk for a minute now. Over a month, he has came out and said, who wants to fight and all of Israel would hide behind the bushes because nobody wanted to fight him. And when you feed a bully's ego, they just become a bigger bully. And so he has this confidence inside of him. And when David come out, he sneered, the Bible said, at this ruddy-faced boy. The first thing you need to pay attention to is he judged the amount of danger based on the size of his opponent. Uh, uh, why, why, why is this important for me, preacher? I'm glad you asked. Goliath was insulted that they sent a boy out to fight him. He laughed at David. You know why? Because mentally, his bully self knew he was stronger than David. He had more training than David. He had more skill than David. And because of that, he laughed at danger. But the one thing he overlooked and didn't pay attention to is the same thing a lot of you don't pay attention to. Some of the most dangerous things look harmless. A whole lot of trouble can be packaged in a real small package. And if you don't pay attention to it, you get like David and get too arrogant in your own skills. If you take the smallest molecule in existence, it's called the atom, and if you split it the right way, it has the capability to kill millions of people. A little spider has enough venom in it to kill a whole person. And when you stop paying attention, you begin to think you can handle stuff because you think it's just little. It was just a little wink. It was just a little touch. It was just a date. How come you coming home the next morning? Y'all not going to help me right there, are you? It's just... Y'all just not going to help me. It's just a few dollars in my pocket. That cash register won't miss it. That company's got plenty of money. It was just a little lie. I didn't feel like arguing with her. We're always arguing. I just told her one little lie to get out of an argument because she don't know how to uh, shut up when, when I tell her the truth. So I just skipped church for four months. I just missed here and there and over there. I'm just, it's just a little... Pastor, what are you making such a big deal out of this for? It's little. We have so many people sitting in this building this morning, watching by live stream and all around the world, 
that are not paying attention to things they think is too small to hurt them. But that little thing carries more deadly poison than you realize. And that's why you have to pay attention. Solomon said it best. He said it's the little foxes. It's not the big dinosaur. It's not the huge event. It's not the cataclysmic circumstance. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Why? Because you're not afraid when it comes wrapped in a small package. As a matter of fact, not only are you not afraid, some of you really, really like it. I've been lonely for so long and that touch feels so It's just a little thing. God loves me just like I am. But he hates what you're doing sometimes. See, 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 see. Number two, he didn't respect the weapon against him. So not only did he have too much confidence in himself, he also didn't respect what was coming against him. The sling looked harmless. It looked outdated. It looked like something that could not bring him any damage. But little did he know that the effectiveness of a weapon is based on the skill of the one who's holding it. Oh, I just said a whole lot right there. See, what you don't understand is what Goliath didn't understand. You don't have to have a big piece of artillery. Because if I can get close enough to you, I don't have to shoot you from across the state. If I can get you close enough, I can stab you in the guts. Y'all not going to help me. See, 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 some of us don't appreciate that, that thing, that, that person, that attitude, that relationship that you like so much might actually be a weapon in disguise. It's lonely up here on this stage. I'm glad I got Deidre in the back. She don't want amen in me. See, see, we don't like to we don't like to think about the thing that makes us pitter patter in our chest, the thing that makes us sweat, makes us verklempt. We don't like to think of it that it might be a weapon in disguise. Because the enemy knows he can't shoot you from across the way because you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and you've got saints praying around you and you've got the Holy Ghost. And, and as long as he's out there spewing venom and cursing you and, and, and telling you that your God's not enough, you will get your righteous indignation risen up and you'll start rebuking him and you'll fight back in him. So he knows he needs to slither in. Oh, did I mean, did I say slither like a snake? Did that come out of my... He knows he's got to slither up against you and get close to you because he don't have to use a big piece of artillery if he can get close enough to touch you. Look at your neighbor and say, pay attention. Uh-huh. Number three, and all of these build on each other. Number three, he thought he was too big to fall. Why, why do you think the, day, the, the Bible tells us to take heed? When you think you stand, lest you fall. Because there is this arrogance on the inside of all of us that we think, hear me, hear me, repeat after me, I can handle it. No, you can't. But you arrogantly believe you can. And by the way, every addict that has fought addiction started out with that mindset. Every person that had to get out of an abusive relationship started out with that. Every person that got in a bad marriage started out with that mindset. Every person that's ever had to fight their way out of something started by saying, I can handle it. I can handle it. Goliath thought he was too big to fall. It never crossed his mind that he might actually lose. Can I tell you what the devil is best at? more than making you sorrowful, more than making you depressed, you know what the devil is best at? He's best at disguising the cost of losing. Because all he shows you is a good time. He doesn't show you a drunk that's lost his family, his house, and is living under a bridge because he's not employable anymore. He don't show you that. He don't show you somebody whose liver is shot 
because of years of alcohol abuse. He he, all he shows you is, oh, we're just out having a good time. We're just drinking. It's just, that's just a social thing. It's just, we just have fun on the weekends. He doesn't show you the people that have lost their marriages and lost their jobs and lost all of their belongings. He don't show you the addict who has spent years with their veins shot out of their arms. He doesn't show you that. He doesn't show you the degenerate gambler. Oh, it's just football. It's just some fun. So it adds some fun to the game. He don't show you the degenerate gambler who has to go home and tell his wife, I lost the house. He's good at disguising the cost of losing. Because if he showed you up front what it was going to cost you, you would never buy into it. If he showed you up front... What you were going to eventually lose, you'd say, no way. But he disguises the cost so he can get you hooked. And by the time you realize what you've lost, it's too late. I never thought I'd lose my marriage. You know how many times I've sat in my office and talked to people who said, I never thought it would cost me my marriage. How many people have said, I never thought I would lose my relationship with God over that? I didn't know it was going to take me six years to get back into church. I was just moving in with them. I was just going on a date with them. I was just taking another job. I didn't know it was going to take me six years away from God. Do you know how many times I have talked to people who said, Pastor, I never thought it would steal my joy. I didn't know that I would spend four years of my life never smiling, never having hope, never having faith, never imagining brighter days. My strength is gone. I lost my mind. I had, nobody wants to talk to me and spend any time with me. But I didn't see it until I'd lost it. So pay attention. When you have too much confidence in your strength, you ignore your weaknesses. You know what we're real good at? Finding weaknesses that other folk have. We love to put our nose in everybody else's weaknesses and tell them where they are weak. But when we get too confident in our own strength, take heed lest you fall. Yeah, yeah, Goliath. Look at your neighbor and say, pay attention, Goliath. Which leads me to number four. And this one, by the way, I'm going to give it to you this morning, but we're going we're to have entire sermons in this series about this one point. Number four. He didn't guard where he was most vulnerable. Where did the rock hit him? We repeated it during the scripture reading. In the what? Okay, what you may not know, and I know some of you do, but what you may not know is that that was the only place on Goliath that wasn't covered. It says he walked out on that battlefield. He had an armor bearer in front of him. Now, that armor bearer would advance holding a shield which would have stood in front of most of Goliath's lower body. He had armor. He had leg armor, chest armor, back armor. He had a helmet on his head. He was guarded and completely covered except one little place of vulnerability. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little feet, where you go. But it's just a little, a little thing can find a little seam and cause a lot of death. That right there was worth your trip to church this morning. Because who would have thought that the small opening in his helmet was the only space that the enemy needed to bring death and finish him off? Can I tell you Satan don't play fair? He looks for your uncovered places. And he aims everything hell has at that one place until he brings you down or you learn to cover it up. You better be paying attention. And listen, I don't know what yours is. I don't know what your little place of vulnerability is, but I know this, every one of you has got one. And yours could be your finances. You could care more about finances than you do about God, and that'll lead. Yours could be your lusts or your desires, and that'll take you places you never intended to go, keep you longer than you intended to stay, and cost you more than you were willing to pay. Your, your vulnerability could be pride. You won't ask anybody to help you pray 
Because you don't want anybody to think you're weak. Your vulnerability could be envy. You look around and see what everybody else is driving, what everybody else has, what everybody else is living in, and you feel less than, and you're going to do something about that situation. And it causes you to get snarky with them, and you get bitter at them, and you want to talk about folks that has more than you. Do you see how you're leaving yourself exposed, vulnerable? Pay attention. Pay attention. Yours could be loneliness. Well, Pastor, it's easy for you to stand up there and preach about relationships. You've been married to the same woman for 30 years. As if being married to the same woman for 30 years is easy. I mean, being married to me is easy for 30 years. I'm wonderful. But let me tell you something. Just because my place of vulnerability is not my relationship doesn't mean I don't have one. That is just as dangerous as yours. And I have to pay attention to mine like you need to pay attention to yours. And so just because you're lonely does not give you a reason to leave yourself exposed. Boy, I could preach that for a minute. I could, <laughs> I could preach that. See, there's a thousand different places you can be vulnerable, and you need to make sure they're all covered. Yeah, Tell your neighbor, you better cover up. Uh, you better cover up. <laughs> I need to make sure it's all covered. I need to make sure I got it all covered. If there's one little place of vulnerability, the devil can slip in one seam with a small attack that can bring much death. So when I wake up in the morning, I better cover. When I go to bed at night, I better cover. But pastor, what am I going to use? I'm glad you asked. On a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross. So before I get out of bed in the morning, I say, Jesus, that blood that was shed for me on Calvary, don't let it be there, but let it be with me. Let it go before me. Let it be upon me. Let it carve a path for me. As I go throughout this day, bless my steps. Let me walk where you have ordained me to walk. Allow me, oh God, to have your mind. Allow that blood to open doors that no man can close. Keep doors closed that I don't need to walk through. It's the blood of Jesus that set me free. It's the blood of Jesus that saved me. And it's the blood of Jesus that helps me be covered. So i got to make sure all of me is covered because if I leave anything exposed, it doesn't matter if I'm a pastor, a bishop, that and $1.98 will buy me a cup of coffee. The enemy's not impressed with my titles. He's in a war. This is a battle for man's soul. And he's interested in bringing you down. And if I stop the sermon right here, you could ask for my credentials because I would be derelict of duty because I've given you all of the warning signs that you're not paying attention to, but I've not given you any instruction on how you need to cover up for the battle. Welcome to the rest of the sermon because Ephesians chapter 6 tells us in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But pastor, the devil's not after me. Okay, that's possible. As long as you're on his team. Two trains going the same direction never hit head on. So if you and the devil are heading the same way, you'll never experience his attack. But if you're trying to do right, he's going to start butting heads with you to cause you to do wrong. Somebody better say amen. And you better be paying attention because the Bible tells me I should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Mm. So, so Paul says here, put on the, how much? Not some of it. Why? Because you, you can't leave anything exposed. You need the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. All right. Let, 
boy, this is going to break into a sermon that I'm going to be doing a little bit later. But can I just insert something right there? You're not wrestling against Democrats and Republicans. I know I just hurt some of y'all's little sensibilities, but that's what it says. It's not white folk against black folk and against Hispanic folk and against Asian folk. That's not what that says. It says that's not your wrestling match. If you're fighting on that realm, you've already lost. And we know where you're vulnerable. Somebody say amen. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's who we wrestle. Principalities. Powers. The rulers of darkness of this age. Thing is bigger than this room and your family and your lineage and your ge- your ge- genealogy. It's it, it's the age we're living in, against spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. The whole armor. What is the whole armor? Well, I have taught entire months on this one passage. I don't have time to do that. I'm not going to keep you here until eight o'clock tonight. But I am going to run through what Paul says is the whole armor of God. And first is the helmet of salvation. And you wear the helmet of salvation because you are in a spiritual fight. Why do you put a helmet on in battle? To protect your, to protect your head. That wasn't a trick question. Glennette got it. Why do you wear a helmet in battle? Why would, a, why would a soldier put this on? To protect his. And in spiritual warfare, you put on the helmet of salvation. Because you have to protect your mind. And it's called the helmet of salvation. Do you have that picture? Of that soldier that I gave you? It's called the helmet of salvation. Now, why do you need a helmet of salvation? Because you need to protect your mind in a spiritual fight that you convince yourself, I am saved. Oh, hear me, church. Because if you're not convinced in your mind that you are saved, you will forever live in turmoil because you are trying to fight a battle without confidence of who you belong to. When David walked onto that battlefield, he said, I ain't even scared of you because this fight's not with me. My dad backs my play. My dad's got my back. You pick the fight with him. I'm not afraid of you because I know who I belong to. So the helmet of salvation is when you, in your mind, decree to yourself, I'm saved. I'm saved. Yeah, yeah, I heard three people say it. I thought maybe more of you would, because some of you need to convince yourself, I'm saved. Have you, have you said the prayer of repentance? Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Then you need to be able to decree to yourself, I'm saved. And you got to convince your head. You need a helmet to protect your mind. So when you go into this battlefield, you're not doubting where you stand. I'm saved. And sometimes I feel like I'm saved. And sometimes I'm almost past the point of losing my sanctification on a regular basis because all my kids have almost grown. I found it a whole lot harder to maintain sanctification when my children were small. When my children were teenagers. Somebody say amen. Uh I can't do much about my enemy's attacks until I settle within myself that I am his and he is mine. And it's a helmet, which means its purpose is to protect my mind with the knowledge that I'm saved. The enemy loves to mess with your mind. And one of the most effective weapons that he uses is getting you to question whether or not you know God at all. One of the most effective weapons the enemy uses is telling you, you've done too much, you've went too far, you've got too much sin. 
How could God ever love somebody? How could God forgive you after all that you've done? And you need to get your mind settled with the helmet of salvation. Because if you don't know that you are protected because you are His... The enemy will defeat you on the battlefield because the confidence will be in what you can pull off. And I promise you, I know you're tough. I know you like to swing haymakers. But eventually, you're going to run out of steam. You're going to run out of strength. You're going to run out of time. You're going to run out of resources. You're going to need something that is otherworldly, something that is supernatural. You're going to need to draw strength from another source. And if you don't know that you're saved, you won't know that down on the inside of you is the spirit of the living God. And you don't have to be afraid of your enemy because of who you belong to and he has your back and he's back in your play so the helmet of salvation convinces you not the devil we don't care what he thinks because once he hits the anointing he'll know so I walk around sometimes saying I'm not going crazy I'm saved I mean I might make you crazy I might make you lose your mind. But the Lord has given me a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So I'm not going to go crazy. And I'll put this helmet on. I'll tell you how I put it on. I lay hands on myself. I know this is foreign to some of y'all. I know some of y'all have never encountered anything like this. But let me just help you on a Sunday morning, okay? Sometimes you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. And somehow you have to pray yourself into that encouragement. So I put this helmet on because I lay hands on my own self. And I say, I have a sound mind. I'm not depressed. I'm not defeated. I'm not discouraged. I have faith. My thinking is clear. My mind is hidden in Christ. My wisdom is divine. I will not fall apart. I will not break down. I will not give up. I will not commit suicide. I will not have a nervous breakdown. I refuse to lose my mind. If I wanted to put this helmet on my head, I'd have to physically put it on my natural head. But because my helmet is spiritual, I have to spiritually apply it. Uh, somebody say amen. Look at your neighbor and say, pay attention. Then he gives you, this. if I ain't in trouble yet, here we go. Because next he gives us the breastplate of righteousness. The, the breastplate of righteousness. And it's not a mistake that it's a breastplate, Paul says, of righteousness. Because the breastplate covers your heart. And it's his righteousness. The breastplate in the natural covers your heart and your internal organs from damage. But because this is spiritual armor we're talking about, it's a breastplate of righteousness. And it's not a mistake that righteousness, is what Paul said, covers my, my heart. Because listen to me, I'm not righteous. I mess up. If the Lord don't come back and snatch me real fast, I'm going to mess up again. Because I don't do everything right. But He's righteous. And he, according to the word, covers me with his righteousness. So that even though I'm not righteous, he uses his righteousness to cover me. Listen to what Romans chapter 4 verse 3 says. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God. And God, listen to me, counted him as righteous. But if I stopped right there... It'd be hard for us to digest because I just told you I'm not righteous and neither are you. But, but it says Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So here's what God does. This, this, this bill, all of your bills has a statement on it that says this note is legal tender for all debts public and private. It's legal tender 
for all debts, public and private. This is legal. This is not a sandwich. I can't eat this. But I can take it somewhere and trade this for a sandwich. I can take what I have and exchange it for something that I need. And the Bible says if I have faith, like Abraham, I can trade my faith for his righteousness. It's a medium of exchange. In other words, church, faith in the spirit world is like money in the natural world. And I can give him my faith and he will supply me his righteousness because I can't have my own righteousness. So God says, give me your faith and I'll give you my righteousness. Which, which is real good news for a brother like me because I cannot do anything to make myself righteous. Uh-huh. Listen, I, I can't stay right with God. I break his commands. I mess up. But the Bible says if I can trust him in faith, I don't have to be perfect. Because even when I'm not perfect, he trades me. As long as I keep my faith, my faith is an exchange for his righteousness. And I don't have to walk in perfection because he covers me with his righteousness. Now get this. The breastplate of righteousness is over your heart. Because righteousness is supposed to be imputed on the inside. Which means, ooh, hear me, hear me. I'm about to make somebody upset. Righteousness is intended not as a license to sin, but as a way of God to change you from the inside out. Righteousness goes on the inside of you and stays there until it changes the way you act, the way you feel, and the desires you have. Because once you become righteous in God, all of a sudden, you start being convicted about stuff you used to brag about. Uh, righteousness is a seed that the Holy Ghost plants in my heart that brings fruit through my character. So I'm not playing church. I'm righteous. I don't just come to church and get behavior modification and then go live like hell all week long. I don't want to live that life anymore because I don't want to be that person anymore because I have been changed and what's inside of me is changing and affecting me. So little by little, whether you like it or not, he's changing you. Well, of course, pastor, I signed up for this. I would love for God to come on now. Because I'll be the only honest Christian in here on a Sunday morning. Sometimes he's changing me and I ain't ready for him to. Oh, it's just me? Listen, when I got saved, he took my cusser right out of me. And I never cussed again. But there's other stuff that he's still working on me after all these years. And to be honest with you, I don't want the cussing back. But there's some of it I wasn't done using. Come on now. Let's just take temper, for instance. He's taking my temper, and I ain't done with it. Because there's some folks that I would love to tell them some stuff about themselves that they don't seem to know. But every time I try to get my temper loose, oh, it's just me. Oh, y'all so cute. Y'all so cute sitting in here. Y'all don't have no problems, so let me testify. Okay, okay, because, because if I could get my temper back for about a day, I could set some stuff straight. Oh, y'all not hearing me. See, I told some folks a long time ago that was causing me some mess, I said, if I ever backslide, you better run and hide. If you ever heard that Bishop has given up on the Lord and has backslid, he's probably coming for you first. So I'm just shooting straight with you, okay? Listen, if I could get my temper back for, I don't even need it a whole day, just about 12 hours. Because I need to drive a couple of this. You know, I need to drive a couple. Of, there's some stuff I'd like to set straight. If I could just get God, I don't want to backslide. I don't want to miss heaven. But if he would just let me have my temper back the way it used to be. 
before he imputed righteousness into me. Because I don't know about you, but I used to be able to tell some folks some stuff and not even feel sorry about it. I mean, I could cuss you so bad a fly wouldn't land on you. You're not going to help me. I'm testifying in the church this morning. And I, when I say I could cuss you out, let, let, me, let me tell you, if I could just knock the, the rust off of my cussing skills, I would shock you. Because I could rhyme, I could let it rip, I could break words apart, put a cuss word right in the middle of it, never miss a beat. I could tell some people how to do cussing on a professional level. Because some folks just practice at cussing. I could show you what a Ph.D. in cussery looks like. Because I was good at it. And if I could get my temper back, there are times that I want to tap down on the inside of me and grab hold of that thing, that dark thing that used to, and we just talked about this, make me want to slap the taste out of somebody's mouth. And I tap down on the inside and I dig real deep because they have got me to a point where I just want to unload and I need to unload on somebody. And they happen to be the lucky recipient of the one that pushed my button just the right way at the right moment. And I get down on the inside of me where my temper used to be and I feel it raising up and I open my mouth to let it go and I say something absurd like, you know what? God loves you! <laughs> that ain't what I wanted to say. Come to church Sunday. <laughs> that ain't what I was trying to get at. I was really wanting to tell them off. Can I tell you why he covers you with righteousness? Can I help you? It's for your benefit. Because things are better when you're right. I, I know it feels like you're giving up so much, but the more right you get with Jesus, the better you live. Because it is hard to praise effectively when you are guilty. It's hard to pray right when you ain't right. So it's so easy for you to understand this if you're secure. It's easy for you to receive this word if you're sitting there secure in who you are because the righteousness of God has covered you. And then he says to, put my, put my dude back up here. Can't, oh, there we go. There's a belt of truth. And shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now those two go together. And again, I could break them down. I don't have time to. Gird your waist with truth. It's the belt of truth. And your feet need to have the gospel of the preparation of peace. Those two work together because you need to walk in God's truth. Because it's the only way you're going to find peace in this world. So you need the belt of truth so that when you walk, your feet will find peace. Because the world is not going to offer you any peace. So you're going to have to have the truth to guide your steps because it's the only way to keep you from stumbling all over the place. Which brings us... All of that he wore. He wore the helmet. He wore the breastplate. He wore the shoes. And he wore the belt. All of that is what you put on. But notice that his hands... And the Bible says that God made your hands for war. And so Paul, Paul tells us what our hands are supposed to be holding. And he says that you need a shield of faith and a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you're going to fight this devil, you got one weapon you better know. Because you've tried everything else. You've kicked, you've screamed, you threw a tantrum, you fainted, you got depressed. You beat your head against the wall and didn't none of that work. So you might as well learn some scripture that pertains to your problem. 
and point it at that devil. Because that sword of the spirit is the only thing. If you take aim at the devil with the sword, which is the word of God, you don't have to worry about being vulnerable. He has to worry about you. But Paul did not say that you get a sword in your hand because you went to promise a victory. How much word do you know? You don't get a sword in your hand because you go to a great church. The only thing you have to fight with is the word that you know. Church, why do you need to pay attention? Because you have to do this. I can't do it for you. Going to a great church won't do it for you. You have to pick up the sword in one hand, the shield in the other, and take this seriously if you want to win this battle. How many of you right now are under attack? Let me see your hand. Let me see, let me see the hand. How many of you are under attack by something? Uh-huh. So, you're in a fight. Some of you it's health. Some of you it's finances. Some of you it's mental, emotional. I don't know what all of your situations is, but you are in a fight. And the enemy has set you up to take you out. And you have ignored the warning signs long enough. Either you give up what the devil is after, or you fight. The decision is up to you. Either you give him what he's looking for, and then he'll leave you alone, or you fight. Uh, yeah, this is going to work great. Jessica, come up here. This is going to work wonderful. Come on up here. Come on up here. So I can tell usually where somebody's going by how they dressed, right? Like if somebody's going, somebody sees me in an all-black suit and I got a shirt and tie on. It used to mean I was going to church on Sunday, but I don't really dress like that for church anymore. Usually they think I'm going to do a wedding or go preach a funeral. They're like, Where you, who died? And either way, by the way, that applies to either marriage or funeral. Who died? Either they already have or they about to. All you young people out there, just take heed. So you can tell where somebody's going. If somebody's got one of those, I see guys all the time with these lime green vests on that's got reflective, and I know they probably work for State Road or they're working for the oil and gas or something because they, they, that's how they wear They got them muddy boots and a hard hat. You can tell where somebody's going by how they're dressed. But Paul didn't say to get dressed to go. He said, get dressed to stand. He said, stand against the wiles of the devil. So it's not about Jessica going to take something. It's about her standing her ground to defend what she already has, but the devil's trying to steal. Step right here. Step right here for me. Hey, Jasmine, Jada, Jaylen, Josie. Judge, 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 judge. That's a lot of J's. You know that? Jessica and Jasmine and Jada and Jaylen and Josie. My goodness, that's a lot of J's. Come on up here, girls. So uh, Paul says, nope. Come in, come in behind, Mama. Single file. Yeah, let's, yeah, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. So the Bible says you need to take up the shield of faith so that you can absorb the fiery darts that the enemy is shooting against you. And it didn't say that you take this up to go into the enemy's camp and take anything. It says you take this to stand. 
Because there's an enemy coming to take what belongs to you. And you're going to have to be prepared and equipped to defend what is yours. Because the enemy wants your offspring. And the enemy wants your generation. And the enemy wants your purpose. And the enemy wants your promise. And the enemy wants your blessing. And he wants to wipe your name and eradicate it from the earth. But you've got to use the shield to protect what's important to you. And I want to know if there's anybody in this building that's got something worth fighting for. Is there anybody in this church that's got something that you refuse to give up? Devil, you can't have my marriage. Devil, you can't have my kids. You can't have my ministry. You can't have my mind. It's worth fighting for. I said it's worth fighting for. He gave me the armor. I'm going to use it to protect what's mine. Does anybody in there have anything worth fighting for? So you protect yourself with the shield of faith. And if he's dumb enough to come get some, you point the word of God in the eyeball of that devil and say, thus saith the Lord, I shall live and not die. Thus saith the Lord, I'm the head and not the tail. Thus saith the Lord, I will be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Thus saith the Lord, by his stripes I am healed. Thus saith the Lord, greater is he that's on the inside of me than he that is in the world. Thus saith the Lord, I am more than a conqueror. Thus saith the Lord, the enemy will come in one way, but you will flee seven ways. You mess with the wrong believer, devil, because I know what I've got in my head. So I'm curious, is there anybody in this building that's encouraged this morning to keep fighting? The last thing, and it's not on the wall, because I just thought of it when I was coming to the pulpit this morning. The last thing that Goliath didn't account for that caused him to lose this battle the Bible says that the battle was won before David ever went into the valley because Goliath blasphemed God and David picked up on it nobody else in Israel's camp knew that's why they were hiding from him but David knew because David said you're not fighting me you blasphemed God your fight's with him you messed up there's no way you get out of this valley alive. Not because of me, but because who you picked the fight with. The last thing Goliath did, and this won't be on the wall because I didn't think of it until he's come to the pulpit. The last thing Goliath did was he forgot how to make everything dependent on God. David didn't go into that valley because he was good at throwing rocks. He wasn't confident because he was skilled with a sling. He was confident that the devil couldn't win because he was totally depending on God. The enemy thought he could just blaspheme God and God wouldn't notice. And, and some of you... Some of you need to pay attention because you can't blaspheme God six days a week. Sow wild seeds and come to church on Sunday and pray for crop failure. You're going to reap exactly what you sow. So it's time for you to stop depending on you depending on others and depending on your feelings and start depending on the Lord.
This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Because it's not about my skill. It's not about my ability. It's not about how long I can last. I can outwork. I can... It's about I depend on the name of the Lord who is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they, they are safe. This is how I fight my battles. So who in this room is just ready to start depending on the Lord instead of yourself and other people and your feelings and your career your salary because at the end of the day none of that matters if you don't have the Lord because you'll just spend through all your money you'll run out of all your strength you'll have a relationship with everybody in town and still not be fulfilled because without the Lord none of it matters is there anybody ready to fight for what you have left I know you've lost some stuff. I have too. And, 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 and I'm, I'm still decreeing and declaring over my life that when you catch a thief, he's got to return it seven times of what he stole. And I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting on that, but I can't lose what's in my hand now, mourning and crying over what I had back then. So I may have lost the last ten years of a relationship, but I'm going to stand I'm going to stand and guard what's left. Maybe, maybe the last 10 years has been hard, but I'm going to stand my ground. And I'm going to defend what's left. The enemy is not going to take what I have left. I'm not going to mourn over what I lost. I'm, I'm going to concentrate on what's left. And I'm going to tell the devil, not what I feel, not what other people did to me. I'm not going to tell him my excuses. I'm going to tell him what God says about it. And I'm going to decree that what God said is going to come to pass. I'm going to have my faith in front of me and everything valuable to me because I'm willing to fight. Is there any fighters left in the house of God? Because I'm going to be honest with you. There's been a lot of times the enemy has tried to get me to quit. Quit preaching. Quit pastoring. Leave the ministry. And sometimes it sounds real good up here. But I have to get myself back behind this and I have to tell him what God said. Because you need to hear what God has for me to say. And if you've got anything worth fighting for. Anything worth protecting, get up out of your seat and come down to this altar this morning. Take your shield of faith and bring it down to this altar. Because the only thing you've got to fight with is the armor of God. So every person that's got something, you're under attack. I saw a lot of hands go up that you was under attack. If you're under attack and you want to come and... This is how I fight my battles. Get down to this altar.